Oh, she took a dead dark place. <laughs> they could be your pet, or they could be your dinner. Or steaks. Welcome to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today we are talking about All Creatures, Great and Small, the book series by James Harriet. And our guest is Vicki from the Kiwanis Club in Troy, and she's going to tell us all about what the Kiwanis Group does, um, all the great work that they do for children in our community. And in the meantime, we will be talking about All Creatures Great and Small. If you're an animal lover, these are going to definitely be the books for you. If you love stories that take place in the UK where there's some fun adventure, some humor, some lighthearted moments, and maybe even some love, Mm -hmm. these are the books for you. Yeah, totally. And we talk about this a little bit in the episode, but it is nice not everything we have to read has to be about like weighty current social issues. Those are always on our minds. You know, those are always things that we're thinking about hopefully. And they're very important things, but escape is valuable too. It just, Oh, so many appeal factors. We have animal stories. We have small towns. We have old timey stuff Mm -hmm. like cute farmland, rolling green Hills. And if you like that kind of thing, (laughs) sorry, I've just, entertain myself by You're, I, you look like an interpreter interpretive dancer with the way that olivia is moving her body and yeah. her hands as she talks about this i don't <laughs> think that there, i don't think that it's um coincidental that this got really popular during during covid yep. during the lockdown i think people wanted to see things that they couldn't see they wanted to experience maybe a, a more simple time mm. in the world that maybe felt a little less stressful and um they were experiencing that through the PBS show of the same name, mm-hmm. which I believe has three seasons out now. Yeah. And I think the fourth season is coming out. So I don't think any of that is a coincidence. I mm-hmm. think people yearn for a time that they feel nostalgic for whether or not they actually experienced it. So yeah. we definitely get into that. We do. We talk about that. We talk about the book. We talk about the older version, the black and white version of the TV show, and then the new one that's on now. Mm-hmm. So we will get into all of it. And just listen to it. Then you'll know. Settle down. Settle down. Hunker down. Get your snacks and have fun with this episode, friends. So why'd you pick this one? What do you love about this book? Well, I love this book because I grew up on a farm in southeast Iowa. So all the animal stories kind of like, you know, really tailored to me. And I actually read it years and years ago. So basically when I was kind of growing up, but there was all these different, you know, novels. And um, there was like at least six books that kind of, you know, encapsulated this whole um, All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet. And I just fell in love with it because I could relate to it. And even if you didn't grow up on a farm, all the animal stories, if you're an animal lover, it's just a really unique type of book that kind of covers all these different examples of what a veterinarian goes through on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) And it's just the whole simple notion that life is good. And that's what really comes out in it and how to deal with different types of people. I think it's important for individuals to know that they're not going to have 
you know, one person that's going to be the same as another person. So you have to deal with the different personalities. And I think that's what I liked about it because there was all these different personalities in these books. And he had to deal with them, you know, whether it was a a cat or whether it was a dog or whether it was a, a sheep or a lamb. He had to deal with all these different characters that loved their animals. Yeah. And then how did he treat those animals and how did he treat those individuals that he came across? Because each... Each character in these books is unique. Totally. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, okay, so we should probably say there were there was the book series, and that came out in the 70s, and then... Through the 90s. Through the 90s. Through yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, mm-hmm. it started in the 70s, and it came out over uh, 20 years. And then there was the PBS... Masterpiece. Masterpiece mm-hmm. TV show, and then they recently, in 2020 remade it i think 2020 ish let's just say second season's out now third is coming out third is coming out this spring yeah and i was reading about um why people like this series so much and i think there was a vulture article that came up immediately and it was about why the author was drawn to it particularly during lockdown and why and of course you know it's warm it's a warm series it's comforting the problems are for the most part, pretty solvable. You know, there's not this big human drama, but they talked about the community, the sense of community that we have, we don't necessarily always have in modern times, and we certainly didn't have when we were all locked in our homes. And it's about it, as much about the people in the community as it is about the animals, I think, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. How do you feel the TV show that's currently on? You're watching that too, correct? Yes, I am. I'm wa- I've watched the first two series, or the first two series, and, and then season three that's coming up this spring. I'm going to be really excited to okay. see how they progress in that. How do you feel the um, current TV show is stacking up with your remembrance of the book? Well, my take on it was that it had been so long since I read the books, and I actually collected all the books at one time, and then I eventually gave them away. It had been so long that it kind of brought me back to some of the things that I remembered about him dealing with the sheep or him dealing with Mrs. Pumphrey, who's this rich rich lady but she has tricky woo who's her dog you know so it kind of brought me back into that whole relationship okay oh yeah i remember him having that rich old lady with tricky woo who is just a spoiled little dog i thought it was funny when i was reading that um and i watched started watching the show as well i wondered you know because he wrote under um, the name Harriet, but his name was, was Alf Wright. White or yeah, something. Yeah, White, W-I-G-H-T. And I thought, he, okay, so he's had to have changed all the names of the animals and the people he's worked with probably to respect their anonymity. And I thought, what was Tricky Woo's real name? Like Voodoo Hoodoo or something <laughs> I think s- they equally said, silly, do they say? In one of the articles I read, because they talked about that. They uh, In one of the articles I read, they interviewed his son, who mm-hmm. was also a veteran. And his, his son actually has a book out. I just okay. found that out. So I want to buy or find his son's book that yeah. talks about his father. Because his father just died in 19... 90s. Like not, 90, in the 1990s. Yeah. or 98 yeah, or something. Not, yeah, not, not really too that, far away. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, his son is actually written a book now mm-hmm. about him. So Yeah, he said that his dad was really nervous that people would recognize themselves in his writing and so he would make composites of people Mm -hmm. so no one was super identifiable but uh the son told the story where oh i think i think 
James Harriet tried to hide his own identity first. He would publish. He did. Well, it was because the veterinarian and the professionalism, it was, it was frowned upon to write books. And so he went underneath this, um, pen name, um, Alf Wright, um, so that it wasn't kind of related to him. And it was, you know, off to the side Mm because his profession frowned upon it. Marketing or advertising yourself like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he would create, but anybody who lives in a small town probably wouldn't be surprised to know that everybody knew who everybody was in the book. Like they weren't fooled. Oh yeah. I mean, I grew up in a small town. We knew everybody. (laughs) Oh, what was, okay. So I'm curious. I mean, what kind of farm did you grow up on? What was it like? I grew up on a a corn and hog farm. So we had corn, we grew corn for selling the corn. Uh, feed corn. And then we also had oats, soybeans, um, and oats. And then our big income producer was a hog operation. Wow. So, you know, we had piglets and farrowing and all these different things throughout the years. So that's where we, we, um, we lived off of basically the hog operation, but we also had feed cattle in mm-hmm. a cattle herd, um, which wasn't as big as our hog operation, but our hog operation put four of us through college. Wow. Did you wow. like, did you like growing up on a farm? I will tell you that at the time, no. Right. Hogs are a little stinky. <laughs> They're a little stinky. Well, ours were not uh, confined. Okay. That's so good. our hogs were kind of like Free range. Uh, free range, sort yeah. of. But, I mean, they were in pens and stuff. And we fed them in the morning and fed them at night. And in the wintertime, you, we would go out to the um, barn where we had farrowing crates so that the pigs, piglets would, you know, stay warm, you know, when it mm-hmm. was really cold out. Because Iowa can get very cold. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have stories. My sisters and I have stories and stories that we could tell forever about all over our growing up and at the time no it's like I really didn't want to do it because you see all the city kids getting to do this and yeah. the city kids getting to do that and we were working all the time mm-hmm. so that's just the way it was but now I appreciate it I appreciate you know what my parents went through I appreciate you know them living off the land and making it work and you know um, I would say that the pride that you have mm-hmm. yeah of, of the the work that you do and working for yourself kind of right mm-hmm did anybody keep the farm? Yeah, well, we still have the farm, actually. Okay. My mother is almost 92, oh, wow. uh, but she's in um, a living assistant, or uh, senior living place. Mm-hmm. So we actually have two um, other farmers that farm. We have two farm estates, one my grandparents, and then my mother has a state. So we have two farm estates that are still operating. Very but cool. without all the animals, it's basically grain, okay. uh, corn and soybeans. Do you have a favorite farm story you want to tell? Well, probably my favorite farm story is uh, it was in the wintertime and we would have to go out and help our dad um, let the sows out to eat and then the sows would come in. Well, the pigs, piglets wouldn't go out um, when the sows went out to eat. But when they came in, they were, they were let in one at a time and they had numbers on the back of their, of their um, down the spine of their um, top of them and we and my dad would yell out the number and we'd have to open up the crate and get it open before the sow got there because the piglets are all squealing the sow's coming in you know just panicking like panicking, a wrecking you know? ball yeah and all the times that we had to jump up on top of the farrowing crates because 
the crates would get all busted up and bent and everything, and it was hard to get the um, the gates open. So I, those stories are my favorite because it's like we're jumping up on crates, we're trying to get away from the cells, <laughs> and then our farm barn was very narrow in one section, and if the sow got past their crate, then we had to back them up. Which is not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. So <laughs> I, I would say most of my stories come from dealing with um, hogs and sows and boars. And uh, I even went to a boar um, buying station, which they have, and mm-hmm. you have to pick out and buy boars for your hog operation. And one year I came back from, I was a jewelry buyer for Kmart at the time. I came back one winter, one Christmas, and my dad goes, well, let's go buy some boars. So he takes me out and I'm like, um, well, how do I know? <laughs> how do I know which boars which are better? Good one. You know, it's slightly like, different than what I do at work normally. Yeah, <laughs> what like am I, I looking I'm, for? I'm buying jewelry, now I'm buying boars. <laughs> so it's like, you know, okay, well, then we had this set of boars that were all dirty and muddy, and then we had another set of boars that were clean. I'm like, well, do I pick the clean ones or do I pick the dirty ones? <laughs> well, I ended up picking the dirty ones, and it turned out well because my dad had a, a great hog operation that year. Perfect. <laughs> you had a good eye for Boars. Yes, yeah, so I got to. I'm like, Dad, how do I look? Well, look for the length, look for the width. And I'm like, yeah. okay. Wow. <laughs> and it's a good thing you didn't bring the wrong thing back to work with you. You show up at Kmart with some boars, and then your dad's like, what are these jewels doing on my bed? <laughs> yes. So the, the boar opera, uh, the boar buying station guy gave me this mug, and it's, I don't know, it's Winterset, Iowa, or whatever, but it's got a board on there and talks about it. So I still have that mug <laughs> from years and years ago when I went with my dad to a, a boar buying station. <laughs> wow, it's a different. So that was the other thing I read is that they talked about how part of the appeal of the books is that it feels like it's a disappearing way of life, not mm-hmm. just the community aspect, which we don't always really have anymore, but um, yeah, that connection with animals that connection with the outdoors i also thought it would be interesting to talk about why animal stories are so popular because we know that they are right manda here oh, at the yeah Library. what do you think it is i think it's just the connection that animals love you no matter what mm. and it's you know people can be mean to each other people you know kids can be mean to each other adults can be mean but animals love you unconditionally mm-hmm. and i think it's just that innate sense of this animal will always be there. Now, it's going to be a little bit different if it's a farm animal, but if you have a dog or a cat or a horse, I mean, you get an attachment to them or you get some type of feeling that they are connected to you. I think that's just, you know, a unique... And it also, I think, builds character in children as they grow up because they know that they're... Animals can give them love unconditionally. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of our pause to read program at the library where Mm -hmm. a group brings in therapy dogs, right? Mm -hmm. And kids who are maybe struggling to read or just practicing becoming stronger readers will read to the dogs and the dogs don't get impatient. They don't get frustrated. And the kid feels this freedom that they're able to to kind of practice their reading in that space. Um, Reba, who is our current therapy dog, they were actually here yesterday. No way. Yeah, our next one's coming up in January. And that, um, I did have a father call and ask, you know, why do kids, why do parents sign their kids up for this program? And I said that very thing. Um, The dog doesn't judge them. Mm -hmm. I said, you may know that you don't judge your kids, but it's still 
Sometimes kids get embarrassed when they have to read in front of somebody. They might feel silly, I said. Um, the handler, uh, Janice, kind of scoots back and really lets the kids sit with Reba the dog. And the kids really do lose themselves for their time with her. And it is. It's like this, it's just the sweetest dog. She nestles right up to you. There's this non-judgmental situation and just easy way for kids to forget who they're reading to and that mm. they're reading out loud to somebody or something. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So they're still you. reading to someone, but it feels like mm-hmm. no, the dog doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, that, she doesn't put her paw down on the book and like correct and say, read that sentence again. <laughs> you messed again. up a word. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you look at these schools that have been under such stress and turmoil, bringing those, those therapy dogs in mm-hmm. just takes that stress down you know, more and totally. more for those kids that are coming in, especially like in Oxford, Michigan, yeah. or oh some other, you know, Texas. Yeah, places where kids have experienced that kind of trauma. Olivia, you were talking about how, when you were doing your research, why people love these stories. And um, I thought it was very interesting. So this kicked back on in 2020 or 2021? It was 2020. And at end of 2020, yeah. I think, right? Right. Um, so... The thing that spoke to me the most about this TV series and the book, which I'm still working my way through, is um, for me, it's nostalgia, right? We all like stories that take us back to another time and place. Interestingly enough, I was not alive in the 1930s when this was supposed to be taking place, but it still invokes something, right? Like it reminded you of working on a farm and growing up on a Mm -hmm. farm. I worked on a farm for five years in New England. And as I'm reading these stories, I'm cracking up because... There's the one, which I know it's in the first episode of the show, and it's early on in the book. The um, In the show, it's a horse that kicks him. Right. And the farmer says something like, she's really friendly, she just wants to shake hands or something like that. That's in the book, but it's a cow in the book. And that made me start laughing when I was reading this because I used to milk cows once a week. Um, I actually was a cook there, but I volunteered time to milk the cows as needed, and I did a Sunday shift every week. And there was this one cow that was so ornery, um, and she stomped on my foot one day when I was trying to milk her. And then there was nobody else in the barn. And I'm over there trying to figure out how to get this 600-pound cow <laughs> off of my foot. <laughs> and so I finally just took my, you have to kind of like elbow, mm. elbow them in the ribs. Almost. It's like a bully at school. I had to put my elbow in her rib and push as hard as I could to get her off of my foot before she broke it. But oh. you have to laugh because I right. know when I told one of the farmers, he's like, oh, she's just messing with you. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. I, don't, <laughs> I, I like my bones being non-messed <laughs> with, right? So... This sense of nostalgia watching the show and reading the book. So I kind of took the spin of nostalgia. So I did a little research. And the thing that I found the most interesting was they were talking about how nostalgia, how we seek out things that make us feel nostalgic for other times happens a lot when we're living through a time that's, um, we don't know what's coming. Mm. So it didn't surprise me when I looked and I said, oh, well, the show came out in uh, 2020 when it was probably halfway through the year when we were working our way through the pandemic. Now, I'm sure that this, um, I didn't see if it was a man or a woman who wrote the show based on the books, but I'm sure it started in 2018, 2019. But I thought it was very interesting. And I always wonder how well a show would have done coming out at different times. And I think it just, it really hit something, it hit a chord in people. I think because the world was so uncertain. So I just thought that was really interesting. That was my biggest response. And I thought this was interesting as I was researching nostalgia. I want to share this weird fact with you guys. And I did come across this on a couple different valid resources. Um, They did say that nostalgia, the term nostalgia, they believe 
was first used in 1688 by Johannes Hoffer, and they um, associated it with moral pain because of forced separation from family and social environments of soldiers. So these soldiers were showing this, um, they were starting to show physical pain and just sort of mental exhaustion because they were so far removed from their family and from everything that they knew as soldiers that they started, they gave them the term of nostalgia. Mm. And um, I thought that was really interesting that it came out of this kind of sadness, this weariness, this being away from home, because we think of it more as like a state of mind when you're, thinking about the past. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're thinking about your family, you're thinking about whatever, it's just you're sucked into this emotion, this feeling, because something makes you long for a time and a place, whether or not you experienced it. So mm-hmm. kind of interesting to see how that world, that word has evolved. Yeah, that is very interesting how, you know, it's kind of progressed and where it started from, you know, until now. And I think people have that nostalgia. It may not be in the same regards as being history but it could be like you know maybe a year ago something that just hit them and it's just stayed with them because families are more mobile now Mm -hmm. so they're moving around I mean I live in Michigan but you know my brothers my sisters and my parents all live in different states Mm so um, you know getting together and sharing stories that's really you know what we do it's like we share stories from you know back when we were growing up but Yeah. yeah you're right the nostalgia is a a key piece, I think. Yeah. It's interesting talking about nostalgia with this book. And then I was also thinking about what I was doing during lockdown. What I was drawn to was, have you ever watched um, Dr. Oakley, Yukon vet? Mm-mm. Obsessed with her. She's this like tough as nails, Alaskan veterinarian, and she works on any kind of animal. It's, I mean, she'll help an eagle and then she'll, a bison and then a dog. And so she, it's like any animal that you could find in this remote place in Alaska, she is able to work on. And I watched those all through through lockdown. And I think part of it was because there w- wasn't any human drama. And there's some light human drama in All sure. Creatures Great and Small, right? Yeah. You want to talk about the people in the story? Well, the people in the story are very different from each other so I think the way he spins the stories and how he spins um, his relationship with his brother Tristan or um, you know Tristan's brother um, and how they you know interact and stuff it's like the the characters can remind you so much of your own family and I think that relationship and how he talks about the friction between Tristan and his brother, and I can't think of the brother's name. Siegfried? Sieg, well, Siegfried and Tristan, yeah. yeah. So those two, how he spins that dynamic between the two um, can correlate to so much of family drama today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like you're my brother and my sister, my other sister. You know, it's like how, how does some of that same relationship come into what is with my relationship. Yeah. So I think that also um, the way he talks about it and how he ultimately brings them back together after they've been like at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just becomes a, a real nice ending um, for some of his stories. And then he also talks about 
uh, Miss, Miss, Mrs. Hill, the um, housekeeper, the housekeeper. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> the housekeeper and how she kind of like maneuvers through and, and, you know, pushes this person this way and pushes this person this way. So mm-hmm. she's kind of a, um, a conductor in some ways because mm-hmm. she's orchestrating how someone should move through the day or yeah. move through each of the personalities. So mm-hmm. I think she's a very unique person because she knows how to tackle each person's um, personality and then so we talked about the main characters Mm -hmm. the brothers that James Harriet character lives with the housekeeper who's a big part of it and then but then there of course like we mentioned earlier are these sort of ragtag townspeople farmers and and Mm -hmm. people who live in this area I was surprised for such a nostalgic story how rough and tumble the people are. I mean, a lot of them are drinking pretty, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty substantially. Pretty <laughs> substantially. And that is part of what's appealing to me about it, too, is that there's sort of the, this acceptance of these, of these characters who are pretty wild. Yeah, the livelihood of where they're growing up and the weather elements that they have to endure and their occupation, you know, whether it's um, herding sheep and taking care of the sheep or taking care of the bulls or taking care of, you know, the pigs and stuff, you know, some of them become their family. So, mm-hmm. you know, for an outsider to come in and, you know, start, you know, treating, you know, what they consider their family, that's a dynamic that I think he has a good way of um, talking about whether it's in the PBS Masterpiece Mm -hmm. um, series or whether it's in the book. It's like, you know, it's that relationship that that farmer has with their animals. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how does that veterinarian come in and how does he treat that animal so that he also brings that farmer to some type of a a gentle way of dealing with, okay, this is a new person coming into this whole, you know, community. It makes me think, too, about animal stories and how they... I mean, the, there is some human drama in this book, but uh, an animal story can be stakes because it's sometimes life or death for the animals, for sure, right? When okay. you said stakes, I was thinking about like a beef steak. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that sounds delicious. I am getting hungry. Sorry, it's before lunch. I was like, wow, she took it to a dark place. They could be your pet or they could be your dinner. Or steaks. <laughs> well, I grew up with that. So I'm like all over oh knowing gosh. that, you know, yes. that animal is eventually going to feed me. <laughs> yeah, my friend came out and visited and we, we were working dairy farms. So we had cows, but we had pigs and chickens. And we we're having dinner one night when she was visiting. And it was something with, I don't know if it was steak or ground beef. And she's like, is this one of the cows? And I said, yeah. And she goes, don't you guys name them? And I said, we do. You name them so you can keep track of, you know, their calves and everything. And, you know, we keep track of how much each one produces and all that kind of thing. She's like, and you milk this one? I said, yes. And she's like, did you like this one? I'm like, yes. And she goes, I don't know how you're eating it. I'm like, because it's the circle of life. I know why totally. we are farming them that eventually I'm going to eat it. I said, if it bothered me, I'd be a vegetarian. It doesn't bother me. There's something, Knowing where my food comes from. I mean, I, I am a vegetarian and still yeah. I find it a relief to that way of thinking yeah. that it's the circle of life. But it's, also you care for your animals on a farm, hopefully, and you give them dignity, dignity while they're alive. We took really good care of them yeah. and they were very loved, but then they were also there to serve a purpose. Yeah, as opposed to just not knowing where your food comes from. It's like if you're going to eat meat, you should know where it comes from. Sorry, I hijacked your whole point with steak and turning the cows into meat. (laughs) 
You said uh, the stakes. Oh, I think I was going to say it's stakes <laughs> without drama. Yes. So it there is drama, but there's not that like social drama. It's, yeah. you know, it's life or death. And it's what I liked about Dr. Oakley is that there, there was some gruesome stuff in Dr. Oakley. I think I read in the shadow of man too, during lockdown, which is the Jane Goodall book about the mm-hmm. chimpanzees, yeah. which you think is going to be this lovely book about chimpanzees. You know, Jane Goodall, she's like British with her little braid and she's like, and this like sweet old lady, most hardcore book I've ever read in my <laughs> this life. This is the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved it. I think because everything felt so life or death too, that resonated yeah. with me. But I didn't have to think about all the mishigas around like whatever people and what they were choosing to do. So it was, I don't know, there's something about animal stories I think is perfect for when you're going through something traumatic. Mm-hmm. Not only because it's comforting, but because it's also confronting that it's, a little bit intense. That's why I think kids' books, why animal stories work with kids, because yeah, you're constantly going through something as a kid. Yeah. Whether or not you know it, you're constantly, you're physically stretching and growing. You're, you might be bullied at school. You might not like that. You have a new younger sibling. You might not like that your parents are getting divorced. But you don't get a say over any of those things, right? When you're an adult, you can be like, well, forget this guy. I'm going to just, you know... If someone at work is giving me a hard time, I'm going to figure out how to work through that and move on so this isn't my daily thing. When you're a kid, right, you don't have that option. You can go talk to your parents and things and hopefully resolve certain things, but some of it you have very little control over. Yeah. And I feel like that's why animal stories work for kids because it's that way to kind of have those little elements of drama, right? Like um, I'm thinking of Charlotte. Charlotte's 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 Web. Thank you. Um, you know, it's like, you're scared for the pig the whole time. Like, oh my gosh, they're going to kill it. They said she could keep it, but then it's, then you worry about all those other little side stories, but it's not as scary because in a, in a sense you can remove yourself from it. Right. But it also makes sense. Yes. Like death. I mean, death doesn't make sense, but like the, (laughs) the impending doom of like killing something is like something you understand, but like how to behave in a situation where you don't understand what the adults expect of you doesn't make sense. Like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, or like getting embarrassed and you don't know why, or like being Mm -hmm. a kid is so confusing. The animal world makes sense. Mm -hmm. We're so smart. We are. Look at us unpacking all of this stuff today. I think, you know, my favorite parts of the book are always when he's out with the farmers and he's Mm -hmm. dealing with that animal and what he's going to do. I mean, I do like the the dynamics between Tristan and Siegfried and what's going to happen, you know, when Tristan um, doesn't behave right or something. But I actually like it is how does he how does he find out the resolution for what he needs to fix, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because for a while, uh, Siegfried wouldn't allow him to go out on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took a long time before Siegfried, Siegfried would let James go out on his own. And then when James went out, then it was like, okay, now it's my, you know, it's my problem. How do I fix it? So I like, you know, how he progresses through how to fix, you know, the bowl or how does he fix the cow or how does he fix, you know, the sheep that's, you know, down with, you know, some type of um, ailment. James Ariat also does a, a good job of, you know, saying it's okay to ask people for help. It's okay yeah. to, you know, ask people how they've done things. So it's all, um, you know, the ability to work with other people and, and use their talents as well as your own mm-hmm. to come to a resolution. I'm trying to see if there's any other little tidbits we should say before. I I guess the only other thing that I found kind of funny was 
and I think it was in the interview with his son, with James Harriet's son, they talked about um, the real people behind Siegfried and Tristan Farnan. And in real life, they were named Donald and Brian St. Clair. Mm-hmm. And Tristan, the younger, the one who is you know, Brian, a.k.a. Tristan, loved his portrayal of himself, even though he's kind of like a doofy person in the book and in the mm-hmm. show. But the older brother, uh, the Siegfried character, was super mad. He did not like it at all. Really? Yeah. Why? Apparently he was a very unpredictable person. Did you read this too, Vicki? No, but I can see that, yeah. you know, being the case with, yeah. you know, how he depicts, you know, Siegfried, um, you know, and his characteristics. Yeah. They, they said that he was very unpredictable. He would say one thing. And then he wouldn't, like, cop to his mistakes ever. He was real, he'd get real mad about random stuff. And and, um, I think the son said something like, James Harriet really toned him down in the book. (laughs) It was like a really faithful. Well, there's some things when they talk about Siegfried and what he does, and he has to have all of his tools exactly right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, almost to the point of OCD, but not quite. Yeah. Um, So if things are moved out of the way or things are not put back in their place, you know, it irritates him. I think perfectionists like that can have a hard time seeing themselves clearly. They don't like themselves reflected back. Can I say from a collection person point of view so when we assign call numbers to things books like these drive me crazy oh. because there's the age-old argument of is this a biography or oh. is this 636s which is animal stories and so i looked it up on mel and it was a split about 40 60 percent it's a non-fiction yes it's oh. a semi which autobiography which i wanted to talk about with you guys so it's my copy i we don't we didn't have a copy i don't know if ours was checked out but By i couldn't me. i couldn't wait oh so we do have a copy and it was already checked out so yeah. i actually wound up getting this at southfield public library they have it as bio really um so i looked it up on mel most libraries have it as bio or 636s, which is uh, Dewey Decimal Nonfiction for Animal Stories. There were a couple that had it in the 920s, which is interesting. 920s is um, multiple biographies. So usually that's where you see a book about the presidents, where it's like not just one person's biography, but a couple. And I'm like, who the hell do they think the 920s? I'm like, because he's not really... (laughs) Yes, there are other characters like the other doctor, but it's not their stories. It's his. But I was kind of thinking because um, there's a New York Times article and they were saying that different people that were worked with around or around him and even his son said not everything is faithful. Um, Some of the stories come from other people. He kind of just um, kind of in effect recycled some old stories and wrote about experiences that also happened to some other vets or doctors in the area. So in that sense, it's not totally pure um, memoir. So that's kind of what happened with Little House on the Prairie when it originally came out. They had it in children's biography. And then over time, the publishers kind of realized that she sort of sensationalized a lot of stories to, or took stories from other people's families and kind of made that part of her, her parents' story. So it got moved to fiction. And so I was like, shouldn't this kind of be in fiction? Totally, I would bit? say so. I wouldn't necessarily have it as biography. Fiction. I think publishers like when they can sell a book as a real story yes. because people like that. They yes, they, we love when we see based on a true story in a movie, mm-hmm. right? You're right. like, oh, well, dang, that looks crazy. Like, I want to see what this person went through, and then you read the actual story, and you're like, well, wasn't that sexy or yeah. like exciting? It was. 
It's like the James Fry thing or Frey or whatever his name was when he like sensationalized his true story and everybody flipped out. And then they found out it was fake. Yeah. What was that called? A thousand, a million? A million little pieces, I think. I really didn't like that book. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I think it should totally be fiction. It reminds me of my niece who she likes to tell stories. So we'll tell stories to each other sometimes. Mm -hmm. And before I realized her how strong her feelings were about stories i told her a story that she thought was a real story about Mm -hmm. me getting locked in the zoo overnight and i spun this whole yarn about being locked in the zoo and then i said something that made her think realize that it was a fake story and she stopped me and she was like is this a fake story and I said yes, and she was so mad that I didn't disclose that at the beginning that she uh, <laughs> she was along for the ride. She was she so wasn't. mad at me. I had to tell her a real story about how I went to I, my Girl Scout troop slept over at a museum one time. <laughs> Did she you sleep over at the Sloan spitting. Museum? Mad what? Sloan Museum in Flint? Did you ever no, sleep no, over no. there? It oh, was, I did with my Girl Scout troop in 1990. Amazing times, y'all. We were in the um, Native American exhibit. That's where we got to sleep. It was the. Coolest. Ours was just off of their new dinosaur exhibit. Woo. I know they had like this prehistoric squid situation and we woke up and snuck around at night. Sorry, Sloan Museum. Children don't do this. We woke up and we snuck through the museum at night and all the lights were off. And I remember we came around the corner to where the dinosaurs and prehistoric stuff was and the squid's eye was white. So I turned my flashlight and you just saw this like two foot eyeball looking at you we all screamed and started running through the museum again i'm sorry sloan museum that i'm sharing this story and we shouldn't have done that um but uh they're asking i kind of went rogue when i was a kid yeah don't don't let children have sleepovers if you don't have like extra security detail because they're going to do awful things yeah they really will just really think about the plot of um that movie with ben stiller is there anything else vicky you wanted to say about the book before we move into our final no i just think you know if you haven't, um, if listeners have not, you know, heard about this book or the PBS miniseries, at least, you know, watch the PBS series because it's, it's in color. It's not black and white, uh-huh. you know, it's in color and it, it moves along and it, it does get into the human nature in the animals themselves and how people interact with each other. And at the end of the day... <laughs> It's all about feeling good and and life is good. So, you know, taking that time out of, you know, the stressful day-to-day things that are happening in the world, I think it's just a a relaxing um, type of movie, miniseries, or book to get engrossed in. Yeah, that's a great great note to end on. We don't always have to be reading the dark and challenging stuff. We can read the sweet things, too. All right, Vicki, do you want to tell us a little bit about Kiwanis? Sure. So Kiwanis International and the Kiwanis Club of Troy is a um, club within the Kiwanis International global organization that uh, talks about children and does things with children to affect a child's life. So the Kiwanis Club of Troy uh, works in the community. Uh, We do different things throughout the community. This year, we've been doing mental health in the Troy schools and the Claassen schools, and we're trying to just get the the notion out to the community that it's okay to talk about, you know, what's mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. You know, if you're going through depression, talk to someone. Uh, mental health is big. It's like one of the number one um, serious ailments now in the United States because people for years have 
put it underneath the table. Don't talk mm-hmm. about it. I mean, even when I was growing up, it was like, just suck it up and go on. But mental health is, is more than that now. We have, we have students, we have people dying by suicide mm-hmm. because they're afraid to talk to someone. So mm-hmm. um, the Troy Kiwanis Club is actually making it their mission and we're making it our mission to get the word out to schools or whoever community um, organizations are that we want to help them. We want to help them, you know, give the message that this is okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. And athletes are coming out too um, to talk about, you know, their struggles with mental health. So the Qantas Club of Troy, we do a lot of things in the community. We work with the uh, stage nature center we work with some of the other organizations like the troy historic village so in collaboration with them we are doing different efforts to work with children Um, we're trying to get those children that are having problems with depression and we want to work with the organizations that have contact with them so that we can provide you know resources to them or we can connect them with other resources Mm -hmm. that will help those children to come out of their shell to you know be comfortable in their skin to say, hey, you know, I'm feeling depressed today, you know, or I don't feel, you know, I feel sad. So mental health is really where we're focusing on this Mm -hmm. year. Consider us as a a vehicle in your community um, to help with whether it's mental health or challenges that children are going through. Mm -hmm. That's such a great, great, great mission. We're always open to new people stopping by just Mm -hmm. to see what we are, you know, and we don't always have everything, you know, something every week. It could be once a month we may have something. So we're very flexible in that. Yeah. You don't have to make it a full-time commitment. You can make it, you know, once a month commitment, mm-hmm. you know, come out for an hour and, and discuss and see what we're doing for the children, you know, in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if someone was interested in volunteering or learning more about Kiwanis, where would they go? Sure, they can go, they can uh, send an email to KiwanisClubTroyMI at gmail.com. We have a website out there, but everything will tie back to um, our Facebook pages, mm-hmm. uh, which is KiwanisTroyMI. And uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Perfect. So we are um, on all social media platforms. Great, perfect. Very cool. So glad you could be here. Yes, well, thank nice you. This has been really, really nice. Oh, I love these podcasts that you're doing because I always learn something new. Oh. You guys are so fluid in all your books and everything. So <laughs> it's like I, I always find something that I can like, oh, I Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.